Welcome to the Bella Sad Bellum Podcast, the podcast for military-connected women, bringing messages of encouragement, humor, and practical how-to on topics that impact their lives most, equipping them to lead in the service and in the home with grace and wisdom. We care deeply about sharing accurate, timely, and relevant information with our listeners, but neither we nor our guests have a monopoly on truth and everyone's military experience is unique. The views expressed in any of our content, written or audio, do not necessarily reflect an official or acknowledged Department of Defense, United States Air Force, or other government agency position, policy, or view. Welcome back to Bella Said Bellum. This is the first in a four-part series on the topic of deployments and extended separations, and Deployment is such a huge topic that as we were researching it, we decided to divide it into phases and we'll have several episodes that relate to that, but are not necessarily a part of this series. And so it's four part series about all things deployment. The first series or part one is about preparing for deployment. That's what we're going to do today. Uh, part two will follow and uh, expound on preparation by talking specifically about kids and getting them ready for deployments and extended separations. And then part three will discuss the like during and trans deployment and talk about thrival versus survival. And part four will cover post-deployment and reintegration, which is a whole nother big topic. Um, as mentioned, there's like there are so many subjects in this area, but we'll have an episode on later, such as communicating during deployment, uh, the five love languages for distance relationships, regression in kids. That's a big one for me. Uh, around, ha- <laughs> around Halloween, we'll talk about the four horsemen of the deployment apocalypse or Murphy's Law of Deployments, which are all the emergencies and things that seem to come up while Only you have someone deployed. Right, yeah. exactly. Only during deployments. And then right after that, just in time for the holidays, we'll talk about being apart for holidays, birthdays, and major life events, which while seemingly sad, we we're going to, uh, you know, end that with a positive note and talk about how we can we can do those well. And Exactly. There are so many resources out there about oh my all gosh. aspects of deployments. It's, I, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was going to find the end of the internet researching this episode. I would say that the majority of material is written for wives and moms at home, or maybe that's just, you know, what I kept coming across using the search terms I was using. We don't want to take anything away from the really good work that other bloggers and podcasters and writers and speakers and organizations, um, all the stuff that they've already put together. Yeah, I know. Uh, And since we do have a lot of ground to cover in the deployment topic, we don't want to just repeat everything they already said either. So our discussion of all the phases and aspects of deployment are going to work hard to include the military members' perspective, particularly for those of our listeners who are serving military women, and they're the ones deploying, which is just a slightly different situation than most of the blogs and podcasts address. Not all, but, you know, most, I'd say. Um, So some advice uh, is not wrong. It just doesn't quite fit sometimes. Um, But we will be incorporating both viewpoints. Um, So whether you're staying at home and your husband is deploying or whether you're, as the military woman, you're the one who's deploying. We're going to try and talk to both of those viewpoints. And certainly you can find so much material out there for wives and moms at home during deployment. So (laughs) no worries about you finding the resources you need. So let's jump into it. Okay, so for the purposes of this mini-series, we're going to use the word deployment to mean any period of separation for any reason that poses a significant disruption to the normal pattern of life and or routine. Uh, And that could be a six-week TDY for school, uh, a three-month-long abbreviated deployment in CONUS, or a full 365-day short tour you know, far away or at a larger base, you know, what have you. So there are three phases really of any deployment and that's the pre-deployment phase, which starts from the moment the member finds out that they're going to be leaving. And sometimes even before that, if they're on a schedule and then ends the day that they depart, uh, there's the during or the trans deployment phase. If you're sticking with Latin roots, uh, which Uh starts when a member departs and concludes as soon as they touch back down on home soil or at their home, you know, of record or where they're actually living. Uh, And then the post-deployment phase, which begins when a member is returned to home soil. And then that can last, uh, Up to about four to six months after return, usually, although it can go on beyond that. But that's kind of the phase we're going to cover. And so we're talking about the first one today. So (laughs) we're going to we're going to talk about four things that should be done uh, during the pre-deployment phase or that we've experienced ourselves that should be done during that pre-deployment phase. And those are building your community, uh, establishing routines and making backup plans and emergency plans, educating yourself about what's to come uh, and then knowing your resources. 
Jules, get us started. Uh, why does it matter? I think it's it's pretty easy answer, actually. This is easily one of the most common, biggest stressors in the life of a military family. I feel like our society and culture is structured in a way that is not deployment sympathetic. I think if we as military ladies can get good at getting through deployments, get better, or at least learn about the resources available to us, we could significantly decrease the stress caused by deployments, and that will probably help us strengthen our spirits and our families, and then see deployments ultimately not just as a challenge or a hurdle or bad or whatever horrible words you use when you find out there's a deployment coming, Um, but we can actually see them as opportunities for growth and see some positives. Yeah, totally. So... Deployments, while difficult on family life, and that's not just necessarily family life if you're married and have children, but that could be family life with your parents or siblings. Your fur babies. Or, yeah. While difficult, they can be difficult on your family life, uh, they're not all bad, right? If you're a deployer, it can really be a chance to see the mission in a new way, to contribute in a new way to the service, um, to find a new team and make some new, you know, coworkers, colleagues, experience you know, a different team, a different group of folks to set new goals for yourself and fitness or finances or other areas. And there's, there's really a lot of opportunity in deployment. Um, and if you're the one remaining stateside while deployer is leaving, uh, it can also be a chance to set new goals too. I mean, you can visit family or friends if that's possible. You can tackle a new project. But yeah. I mean, most, most couples, right. We don't, people don't generally pair up intending to spend great amounts of time apart, but every deployer and their family can find a silver lining if they look for it. So, you know, as an example, my first deployment as a single woman was the first chance I really had to lead and to own tasks without like constant oversight from higher headquarters. I was alone in country and was just managing a group of people and I was in charge of the tasks and I was in charge of the stuff. And when we necess- we didn't necessarily have daily communication with supervisory folks. And so when that was the case, like I just, I had to own that and gosh, I learned and grew so much. It was really, really, really great. Yeah. I, I remember, um, so when I deployed, man, it was so satisfying. The job was so satisfying, like every single day. It was, you know, long days, 14, 16 hour days, but I was coming home, home, using air quotes, home, you know, back right. to my, my room or tent Your or cam. whatever, like so fulfilled. Wow. That was great work. I really felt like I made a difference and it was so great to not have any distractions. Like, Okay, laundry has to be done, but dishes were minimal. <laughs> right. And I really got into a routine of working out so much. Oh man, and I loved that. And I worked out so much. I got myself in shape for a sprint triathlon, which had been a goal of mine for a really long time, and yeah. I actually ended up placing not top 1 or 2. I can't That's remember good, exactly yeah. now, but like Jules top is a 5. Beast. <laughs> listeners, um, listeners Hear this, Jules is a beast. (laughs) It was, okay, it was at that base though. So like it was an incredibly small community. Like if I had done that back in the States, I would have gotten crushed. But it was, you know, it was great. Really helped having those things, that silver lining that we talked about. It wasn't all bad. I did not sit in my room and mope about all the things that I was missing. (laughs) Yeah, well, so, and that's, I mean, that's a good segue to what I want to, something we wanted to mention before we jump into solutions. uh, And that's, to briefly mention the emotions of the pre-deployment stage um, and just kind of maybe the emotions that flow through the deployment series. So here's some normal things to expect once that deployment order drops. Um, you know, anticipation or a feeling of expectation for the deployment to just start already. Uh, stress or, you know, tension that there's so much to do and just not enough time to do it. Uh, anxiety and angst, maybe about the upcoming deployment, maybe about getting things done beforehand, uh, but just anxiety. Fear dread about the impending deployment. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then on the flip side, some of what Julie and I mentioned, which is excitement or looking forward to the deployment and the opportunities it it can bring. And I'll talk about anticipatory grief in just a second. But, you know, just know, right, that uh, excitement and or um, the silver lining for the deployer is not actually uncommon. Uh, You know, that can be a pretty pretty common feeling, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so don't, don't think that that's unusual and, and don't think that that means your deployer doesn't love you. And we'll talk about that in a second. But before I do that, uh, anticipatory grief is something that I just want to mention that is grieving something before it actually happens. And so that can be mild, you know, so just feeling that someone has already left, uh, when he or she doesn't deploy for another oh, month or yeah. so or something, 
or it can be really severe. And that's where a person actually physically begins the stages of grief for something that has not happened yet. And so um, on the lighter end of the spectrum, right, of anticipatory grief uh, and all the other emotions we mentioned before, like those are totally normal. And (laughs) those are, you're not alone if you feel those. Uh, with the exception of the severe anticipatory grief. And so if if you or somebody you know is going through deployment and they've actually started like physically grieving something that hasn't happened yet, then, um, you know, encourage them to seek out some help with the community. But uh, all the other ones, right? Gosh, the emotions are just kind of normal. Um, yep. <laughs> I think I have felt probably every single one of those on the list Probably from both perspectives as well. So when I was getting ready for my deployment, I was not actually initially excited about it. From my perspective at the time, looking back on it, I just felt like, that's it. My plans for the future are over. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know it feels dramatic, but I don't feel like it was crazy either. You know, it's really tough, that aspect of deployment where you um, get kind of short notice, that loss of control. I was just really unhappy. And I went through a long period of, you know, six months leading up to this deployment. And just as I got closer and closer, it felt like a death sentence was approaching. And, And we actually had some unhappiness between the two of us because my husband really wanted to enjoy those last you know couple of weeks that last month or so and he was you know disappointed that I was just so morose and bitter uh, about it and I just couldn't move on then on the other side (laughs) having been the (laughs) wife at home there are a lot of times because my husband has deployed several times now there are a lot of times that he has been really excited. Oh, I'm yeah, yeah I'm going to go and do this thing that I have trained forever to do. And I'm excited about um, doing the mission and being a part of something. And it's tough to, well, I guess I'll stay home with the kids. And oh my gosh, all the things that I have to do alone without help. Murphy's Law of Deployments. This is awful. <laughs> Why are you so happy? Stop being happy. This is not a good thing. Those are all totally normal emotions yeah and we don't we don't want to get too much into the you know counseling venue of of emotions and stuff like that but um we want to at least mention up front that you know while everyone's experience is different um when it comes to deployments there's a lot of the experience itself that is the same and so don't feel like you're crazy if you feel any of these or that you're the only one who's gone through what you're going through you're not alone and i think that leads us to the first thing that we want to talk about, which is oh, yes. building your building community. Building your community before yeah. deployment. Yeah. So building your community deploy- before deployment. Um, community, right, includes your immediate and extended family members, uh, your friends, local and non-local, the spouse's group for your unit or your spouse's unit, whether you're married or not, uh, a church, a faith or a life group, coworkers, uh, and even interest groups like fitness or photography or essential oils, whatever kind of things you're into. Um, and some of those may offer better care and support structures than others, uh, but certainly all of them provide community. One of the conversations that my husband and I have had pre-kids, it wasn't an issue, but after we had kids, um, we often found ourselves having a conversation about where I was going to be while he was deployed for that sense of community, for, for finding that community. Um, My family and my husband's family, they all live in different states from where we have been stationed, and they all have full-time work that make it impossible for them to just, you know, take a six-month break and come live at our house and help me out during a deployment. I am super jealous of those ladies whose moms or sisters are happy to come help them out for a few weeks every couple months. I see them post on Facebook, and I'm like, hmm, that must be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is not my family. That's not my situation. Prior to every deployment, my husband and I have a conversation about whether or not it's reasonable for whoever's just staying home to pack up all our household goods and the kids and then go move to be close to family to find support. Yeah. In the case of kids, moving to be near community presents some logistical challenges and there can be difficulties with reintegration on the back end of a deployment. But. In some cases, it's the best move for a family. You know, my sister's husband uh, is deployed, was deployed multiple times. And while she never moved back to her hometown, she spent almost the entire non-school summer months 
at home with our like parents and family where she had support. Mm-hmm. And so we provide some links in our show notes about the pros and cons of, of staying or going home if you have a spouse that's staying behind. Um, but for single deployers, you know, consider ways that you can ensure support from non-deploying family before you leave and while you're gone. So you know, update your address book or your phone, you know, you can take like consider taking a trip uh, or inviting your family to come stay with you before you leave. I started a blog when I deployed. Um, of course, I limited the details for OPSEC reasons, but um, my <laughs> but I started a blog so that my family would come would know just a little bit about what was going on with me while I was deployed, you know, without regular communication and not knowing kind of what was that what was going on there so Mm -hmm. uh, family is an important community to maintain while you're gone however you might define family is they're pretty typically integral to reintegration and return home uh after a normal deployment so uh yeah you know families family is an important uh community piece of community to consider in the pre-deployment phase right but like we already mentioned, it's not necessarily the only community yeah, that you might find. Um, for example, spouses groups um, or family readiness groups, FRGs and other services, they can be helpful. I'm deliberately putting some emphasis on that word can. Um, while other spouses with deployed family members may also be bu- busy and you're all struggling together, <laughs> um, they also understand how difficult that struggle is and they can be sensitive to how you all need help during a deployment. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, sometimes spouse or family groups aren't always as helpful as maybe you would like them to be. Um, in my not, I had some really great spouse friends but the winter weather right. in mine uh, hindered us kind of hanging out and getting together. My husband almost always deployed along with his squadron while we were at Minot. So in theory, all of the spouses uh, still at home were in the same boat. And so we should have all had that thing in common. Um, but you'll find different life circumstances like kids, no kids, uh, full-time job, no full-time job, staying at home, maybe going back to live with family. Big one, in my case, living on base or living off base. And then also level of experience with deployments, like newbie deployers and seasoned deployers. Those kind of different circumstances kept some spouses and, and keep some spouse groups from gelling. Suffice it to say here that while your spouse group may be a source of Uh, tremendous support. You may also not have that source for a variety of reasons, and you should look at developing other sources in greater depth to compensate for that. Um, So get you or your spouse involved with the group well before deployment so you can, you know, figure out what kind of group you have in your situation. Yeah. And when it comes to getting connected, Finding a way to link up with your key spouse or FRG leader is important. So unit commanders uh, are required to have a key spouse in the Air Force or FRG uh, in the Army or in some of the other programs, or an FRG program. Uh, and these really exist for deployed families. Uh, and so if you're the active duty member, ask your de- commander to get you the key spouse contact info. Whether or not you have a family, uh, you know, you can pass the key spouse's information off to your parents or your sister or you know, whomever you have um, that you want to be, you know, contact, you want to have contact or get connected with uh, in the spouses group. So the key spouse or the FRG leader can put you in touch with others in the same boat and other people possibly even from the same unit that are deploying. Uh, and they're really your link. They're your link to the yeah. spouses group um, in whatever capacity your your unit might have it. So yeah. seek that out through the key spouse um, and the FRG leader. Even if whoever is staying at home is not involved in the spouses group. So, you know, maybe your husband isn't super involved in the spouse group or your parents obviously don't live where you're stationed. And so Mm -hmm. they're not going to be you still want to be plugged into the key spouse because uh, at least in my experience in like the last three of my deployment experiences, the return home information, you know, when the guys were coming back, um, what time they were coming back. That's almost always coordinated. It's almost always coordinated by the spouse. spouse. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're not having a conversation with that person or, you know, you haven't passed that phone number to your family, they're not going to know. As we'll talk about in the reintegration episode, that first information always changes. It never stays the same. So get, get connected with your key spouse. Yes. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> uh, and then another source of community uh, could be a church or a faith or a community group. 
Uh, my local church where I live currently has a program called Flying Solo, which I think is such a cool name. And they have this really cute logo of line drawing birds that looks very artsy and uh <laughs> anyway um and it's part of their mothers of preschoolers ministry and it is fantastic this this flying solo program because we live in a large military community there are so many women that are a part of this program that get it like they're going through that they're uh, in the same stage of life, they're married with kids, they have the same life circumstances, they have a military spouse. My experience right now has been that they do a much better job of supporting each other than some of the other more homogenous groups that you see, like a spouse group or even co-workers, you know, where we're literally working in the same office. So in the category of community groups, the local community is, is another way to get plugged in. Um, and my last several assignments were really good at hosting events like festivals and parades and special museum events and things like that. Um, and that's a really great avenue if your home isn't near a military installation during the, de the deployment, like you move to be closer to family, or maybe your family is a guard or reserve military family and you live someplace other than the member's assigned location. My recommendation is to hit up Facebook and search for the spouse group for your installation, and you can also search for mom and mops groups that do play dates um, through Facebook or in the local area, and that can be civilian, not just military. We will link in the show notes to a blogger, The Seasoned Spouse, um, and she has a lot of military advice, and she has a deployment support group on Facebook. Those are just some ideas for community that you can use to help prepare for a deployment. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you can if you can find a church group or program, you know, that's active and you want to be a part of, fantastic. Uh, you know, take the time before deployment to look for one and see if you can get plugged in. Um, if you find one, but it doesn't seem that active, you know, see if you can rekindle it. Many church uh, support groups, especially those for women and moms, meet during the day. Mm -hmm. um, and so especially as you're planning for deployment or if you happen to be a mom that's you know, or a woman who's full-time active duty or who's working during the day, uh, this is one of those areas where you might have to get creative. So almost all churches <laughs> that I've ever been a part of have a group of like men or women who manage all their ministries. And usually they're the, you know, the uh, gray haired ladies who are just uh -huh. have a total heart for Super connecting sweet. all the, you know, connecting all the community members. So just reach out to the, you know, one of the ministry team members, describe your needs and see if they can get you connected. They almost always can. Um, and they're very, very well, maybe, you know, other working moms or single ladies who are on the road or separated families that you can build some ties with in preparation for deployment. Mm -hmm. So even if you're going to be leaving, you're the deployer um, and you don't feel like rekindling a group there, uh, you never know if you ask to get plugged in, whether they may be able to connect you with somebody else who's in the same boat, who's also leaving. And mm -hmm. you guys bounce ideas off each other and kind of just build a little bit of community and, and faith-based support, if that's your thing, uh, before you hit, before you hit the road. So, Time to move on to another group that you could consider as a source of support. Uh, yeah. Coworkers. Coworkers. Coworkers, totally. For the deployers, right, consider that your coworkers obviously may or may not be going with you. Um, and so if your coworkers are going with you, uh, then, you know, you can use that as a community to uh, have support while you're on the road. They can help you find resources. Some of them may have been there, done that. They may have gone on a deployment already with this unit um, from this home station, may have good resources to plug you in with. So, mm -hmm. uh, yep, ask your coworkers for advice and support if you've got them. You know, and if your coworkers happen to be civilian or contractor or they're military members who are not deploying with you, um, you know, same thing. Build some build some community with them um, and see what they know and how they might be able to help connect you. Um, I know tons of our, our contractor force or prior military, and they are, they are almost always, like, thrilled uh, at the yeah. idea of, of helping or giving an assist, if they can, to a family that's staying home or for babies that are staying home or anything like that for folks who are deploying. So so definitely consider your, your coworkers as a community that you can call on. And if you don't have great coworkers, um or you, <laughs> you I mean it's all relative, right? But if you don't if you don't necessarily have a good connection with your coworkers, then uh then certainly that's not gonna be the easiest source of community for you. But um but still see if you can mend some fences where possible and, and see if that's a possibility for, for some community before you take off. Yeah. 
some of the units that I've belonged to, my husband's co-workers were sometimes, sometimes my husband's co-workers were good at contacting me every once in a while and asking if I needed anything, or they made sure that I knew before he left that they would be there for emergencies and just give them a call. On the other hand, when I deployed, I don't think anyone contacted my husband at all while I was gone. And that may have had a lot to do with perceived gender roles and social norms, or it was probably had more to do with that I was relatively unknown in my unit. Whatever the cause, (laughs) whatever the cause is not good leadership. And so if you're the leader in your organization and you have deploying members, even if their spouse happens to be maybe uh, a particular gender role that you think doesn't want any help don't be like that uh, get the number yeah. for their get the yeah, number for the spouse uh, or the family member who's staying home and put a calendar appointment up to call them and reach out even if it's just to make contact and let them know you're there uh, or utilize that key spouse program we talked about and ask that key spouse to make sure they're checking in regularly with with whoever it is that's that's home side because uh, it's yeah yeah <laughs> You know, I know some of my male subordinates have told me that their spouse is particularly quiet or shy and she doesn't need anything and she doesn't want to really be bothered. So you don't need to really call her while I'm gone. Um, I would say that that describes me too. I believe it or not. I would actually say that. Mm. Um, but there have still been times. Yeah, I would uh, don't laugh. You're quite shy. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> There's. There have still been times where I have heard nothing, crickets, from my husband's coworkers or leadership, and I felt, this is going to sound weird, unappreciated. Not just, like, ignored or forgotten. I felt unappreciated. Um, I don't need help. I don't. I can... I, you, you ask my husband, he's going to say something completely different, but I would say I don't need help. I can mow my own lawn. I take out my own trash. This is not my first rodeo. I've built my support networks, but deployments are... Okay, I hear yep. you laughing, Bernadette. No, that's totally Julie. And so Julie is the, is the um, exactly the kind of uh, individual who will say, I don't need help, and she'll mean it, right? She'll mean that she doesn't need help. She can totally do it on her own because she's a superwoman. However... But uh, if somebody were to reach out and actually uh, ask and yeah. offer help and genuinely mean it, uh, she would be hard pressed to turn them down if they forced it yeah. on her. So yeah. she's going to deny it the first time. But yeah, <laughs> but well, after no, the first after the first denial, she's probably going to cave. So yeah. you might have some individuals in your unit whose you know spouses or or family members are a little bit like Julie, where they're they're very capable and independent. Um, just push the issue, right? Continue yeah. to offer yeah. help, uh, and, and so that they know that you're. You are in earnest. Absolutely. Deployments are still work. They are they are work, even if you are capable. And I would have at least liked someone to acknowledge that while my husband is vacationing on a tropical oh, island, Lord. I am back home <laughs> slogging it out in a Minot winter, you know? Um, oh, Indeed. But... But absolutely, it is. It's. I know I'm not the only person. I have met no, other women. I have talked to the, to other women who are like this. Like, if you ask me, "Hey, do you need any help?" I'm going to say no. If you show up at my house and you just start doing it, I'm not gonna. I'm obviously not gonna come running out of my house and say, "Hey, stop mowing my lawn," you know. And that's um, that's kind of a thing for us as military yeah. women. I think uh, women in general, maybe in in our culture, but certainly military women, I think it's kind of a thing for us to, we feel the need to be competent and capable and independent and able to, to pull on our, you know, adult pants and take care of things when they need to be taken care of. And so it's, it can be very difficult for us to accept help, you know, even Mm -hmm. when it's offered genuinely. And so deployments are an opportunity where that's, where that comes into play. So for those of you who are deploying, you know, consider taking a step back and accepting the help. Um, Mm. (laughs) For those of you who are who are staying stateside, right, consider taking a step back and accepting the help. And for those of you who are deploying, you know, find a way to try and make that available to your your hearty uh, home home station folks. So, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, last just quick note: um, interest groups I mentioned before. So, uh, this may seem silly, especially if you're a deployer, that you may not want to, you know build a community and an interest group when you're about to take off. Um, you know, why would I go and, and meet with a photography group for six to seven weeks, right, when I'm going to be gone for six to, you know, nine months. Uh, so that may seem kind of silly, but 
in addition to being just another resource to have while you're gone, right, you may make some friends there or build some connections that are totally supportive while you're gone. In addition to that, an interest group comes in really handy when we talk reintegration after deployment. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're a non-deployer, you know, these can provide you with some much needed reprieve and support and a way to get away while you're missing your loved one. Uh, But if you are also, if you are a deployer, uh, this can be a way to kind of get out of the house and or get back into a routine of something that interested you and is exciting and helps, you know, helps you, helps you fit back into, to post-deployment life. So consider, you know, that part of preparing for deployment is preparing for the end of the deployment as well. So. Ah, oh, all right. So that's community. Um, and don't, yeah, that's, it's huge. Like, there's, thank goodness it's huge. Don't feel like you have to do them all, but yeah, consider no. some of those options so you don't have to survive deployment solo. Second thing to talk about is establishing a routine. If you're going to be holding down the fort alone, or if you're going to be leaving the fort and the fort kind of needs to self-run itself yep. <laughs> while you're gone. So establishing a routine and then creating emergency or backup plans. Deployments are not usually a good time to branch out into new untested territory, at least not in the preparation phase when you have the stress yeah. of all the things you're trying to get ready. Uh, so for example, you know where best and you know how and where to grocery shop? Probably not a great time to try something new. Now, I will caveat that and we'll talk about it. I think a little bit later we talk about it, uh, about making your life easier. And so that's Mm. a different thing. So making your life easier is a different thing. But um, if it's just for the sake of I'm going to try and just mix things up, that probably will end up that will probably end up adding more stress to your life than not in the pre-deployment phase. So uh, the pre-deployment phase is the time to establish some routines. Bernadette just mentioned uh, grocery shopping. Where I live right now, grocery shopping, I do it mostly online. Thank goodness for grocery shopping online. Um, and it's that's very helpful for when my husband has gone on TDYs because I don't have to drag. Anyway, um, <laughs> the last time he was deployed, I was living in Minot during the winter with two kids. A local grocery store did not do online ordering or grocery delivery. It was really important for me to understand what I absolutely needed to get right. so that I could get by in case we got Well, you needed to in. know. Yeah, you needed to know. Like toilet paper and bread, right? We got to <laughs> right, have right, those right. things. No, no, milk. In case there's an milk. avalanche. Milk is the, is, is, is the key node. Like that's, what's that, what's the... What do we call it? Like the shortest pole? The cog, milk the center the of gravity. Yeah, that's that milk. <laughs> um, so I needed, I needed to know what was on that must-have list. I needed to know where I could get that that was the least inconvenient and what time was the best time to do that. Um, and that was a routine that I established well before my husband left and I didn't change it a whole lot while he was gone. So apply that same line of thought to... Lawn care, car care, pet care, child care, etc. Also establish a routine about laundry day, cleaning day, meal prep, meal delivery. Um, All of those other running the household responsibilities that you will need to handle without your deployed member's help. Especially if you aren't the one who does a lot of those things. (laughs) You need to figure out that before he or she leaves. Yeah, totally. And so that, that ties... Back to the idea of building your community, right? Not all help needs to be people generated, right? Which, and this is especially true for solo parenting. So Julie mentioned, you know, grocery ordering, right? If it's within your budget uh, or is a high enough priority for the survival and sanity of those who are going to be remaining stateside, consider outsourcing, right? For example, if you can afford it and it's important for sanity, hire a cleaning service or a maid to come once a week or once a month or whatever it is that works for you. Um, Arrange for meal delivery or meal prep laundry service, uh, you know, or maybe have the car maintenance done. Oh, yeah. You know, different things that you can schedule and prep in advance. I know personally, I really struggle along with I struggle accepting help or asking. I I struggle asking for help, accepting not as much. Um, Along with that, I personally really struggle paying people to do things that I know I'm capable of doing myself. It just like, like that. But from my husband's perspective, if it saves his sanity or mine, or it allowed, you know, whichever one of us was at home to get through, it was it was an investment. It wasn't an expense. It was an investment. Oh, it's totally so, worth it. Totally. Yeah, totally worth it. 
Especially childcare. We, I, yes. We, I, I, <laughs> I, I say totally I, but we strongly recommend setting up a routine for regular childcare breaks. At least for Air Force bases, they have the monthly give parents a break thing that is free to family members with, uh, to family with deployed members. Contact the Airmen and Family Readiness Center to sign up. They'll pay, give you a voucher and you have mm-hmm. at least once a month orders. four hours. You need a copy of orders for that. Oh, and I think at some bases they require your kids' vaccination records and the form that you fill out if you have to take your kids to the CDC. Whatever it is, you can't put a price on freedom. And so you <laughs> contact the Urban and Family Readiness Center, ask them about give parents a break. They will tell you what you need to know and you can at least have once a month child care break. Um, yes. So for sure, it's it's worth it. Just do it. Yeah. You'll love it. Uh, so get some <laughs> routines established, um, but don't cast them in concrete or iron. Uh, be prepared for the unexpected. Create backup plans and emergency plans. Yep. That kind of means making sure family wills are updated along with general powers of attorney for most things that'll come up. And then if you anticipate less common circumstances, like you need to close on a home because you're PCSing or you're moving from a rental into a place that you're going to buy, you need a specific power of attorney for that. Update your benef- update your beneficiaries, both yes. in your will and in your... I have heard horror stories. I can't believe that this this happens. Oh, update I can. your beneficiaries. I can believe it happens. So it's sad. Easy. There's so much to do. There's so much to do. It's easy to forget all these different things, but that's why we're yeah. mentioning it here in our podcast. Update your beneficiaries. In your will and your SGLI, unpaid earnings, and other benefits. So for the Air Force, that means going into VMPF and the legal office yeah. separately. Those are go to the, the yeah, Go to the base legal office. So as soon as those employment orders drop, if this the idea of getting your uh, you know household things in order or getting your finances and legal matters in order is overwhelming, as soon as the deployment orders drop, make an appointment with the legal office. Bring your spouse if you have one uh, and they can or go alone if you need to. Bring the deployment orders if you have them and they will simply sit down with you and talk you through almost everything that you need uh, or you might need to put together. And they'll have a lot of the forms and they'll have all the advice. So they will help you with those things. That's why – well, it's not why they're there. They have lots of reasons for being there. But it's at least, <laughs> it's at least one of the reasons major, why yeah. the legal office is there. So yeah. – Take advantage of that for getting your house in order. Make sure you have all of your recurring expenses set up for auto pay. This especially falls under the topic of if your fort has to run itself while you're gone, or if you're trying to take things off of your spouse's plate, if you're the one deploying, or if you're the one staying at home and you don't normally handle these things, set them up on auto pay if you know you're not going to need a service during the deployment, cancel or suspend it beforehand. We have a link in the show notes to a blog about important financial conversations to have before deployment. That's one part of getting your house ready to run itself or helping whoever's staying home know how to run the house or (laughs) getting your spouse to help you be prepared to run the house. Yep. Take care of major repairs for your house or your vehicle or any other significant property. Um, what else? Yep. I mean, well, and just going back on the, on the auto pay, if you, if your finances are such that you can't necessarily rely on auto pay because your, your expenses are tight, simple things like making sure you have extra checks, make sure you have those things ordered, Hmm. get that stuff and get that stuff squared away. So that way the finances are a little bit easier while, while deployments happen. Even if you can't do auto pay, like I said, or if the, if the finances are just a little bit too tight to, to worry about that, that then then definitely cancel or suspend services you won't need. Um, and then also, you know, get your checks, get your things ready. So you have the accounts, you have the numbers, whoever's staying home knows the bills and knows what needs done so that they can take care of that properly. The idea of having information handy, put together a list of local service providers to call to fix broken things, uh, your yes. car, your house, uh, your HVAC, your dishwasher, your washing machine. Uh, who do you call if it's the middle of the night on the weekend and your pipe bursts, you know, who do you it, call? Who do will. you call? It will. It, it might. It might. It might <laughs> okay. happen. It might happen to you. And so who are you going to call? Uh, you know, if you have to make that call, uh, what other support do you need for that, right? Who is going to be able to take care of your kids? Where are you going to go stay? Now, you can't go crazy with all the de- with all the con- no. contingency planning, but just think about it. Put together an emergency kit for your car uh, if it breaks down on the side of the road. Um, there's a link in the show notes for a good list of some things to have. 
That's all pretty evident for most people. The service member is generally going to get a pre-deployment checklist um, that vaguely helps you cover some of these things. The real trick is to remember the little things and the rare but disastrous things. The um, black swans. Yes. <laughs> and you just can't really see those. So uh, hopefully as we've kind of talked through some of those that trigger something in your brain of, oh, hey, I want to think about this one. Why? Yeah. Unique, unique things for yourself and your family. One thing that I think my husband and I do really well is we have a conversation at least once or twice. It's the same conversation every single time. What is the worst possible thing that could happen while he's deployed or I'm deployed. And I know that sounds like really morose. That sounds morbid. Yeah. And morbid, but it also allows us to think and prepare like, okay, if we think about, you know, really horrible scenarios, uh, most likely most dangerous COAs, if you will, we can do something about that. And it makes me feel prepared. And then I have less stress during the deployment. Sure. One thing I just want to mention a little story. <laughs> one thing that has happened to my husband and I twice now, while one or the other of us was deployed to, to kind of cut down on expenses, things that we knew we weren't going to need while we were deployed, we would drop the insurance or downgrade the insurance, not necessarily drop it entirely, but downgrade the, the coverage on our second vehicle, the one that wasn't going to get used while deployed member was gone. It was going to be sitting in a garage. It wasn't going anywhere. We'd get a letter in the mail after we, you know, downgraded the coverage from the vehicle loan holder telling us that we were required to have some minimum dollar amount of coverage, even if we weren't driving the vehicle. And our new policy wasn't meeting that minimum amount, and they were going to secure their own coverage if we didn't change ours. And I remember the conversation with the bank was actually kind of ridiculous. They said I had to have collision insurance in case someone broke into my house, stole my car, and got into an accident with my car. <laughs> I needed to be covered for that. Ridiculous. Yeah. Do be aware that is something that comes up. Um, your loan holder, your vehicle loan holder may have a policy about you have to have some you know, minimum amount. If you need to, you can call them. Yep, um, talk to yours. This, yeah, it was a military-affiliated credit union that I was talking to with this vehicle loan. Uh, and you'd think that they would have known that, hey, I'm, I'm not driving the vehicle. It's He's gone for six months. So <sighs> in the vein of emergencies, think through logistics of other problems. So who would you call to watch your pets or your kids if the non-deployer had a medical emergency? So if you're the one staying home and you have a medical emergency... You have a medical oh, emergency. Man. Like, who's going to watch your kids or your or your pets or something like that? Or right? pick them up Do from schools, childcare. Yeah. Do schools and services have the right contact numbers and backup numbers while the deployer is gone, right? Uh, if my school tried to contact me while I was deployed, uh, if that's the Busy. primary contact information, yeah. they're, they're not going to get it, right? And so do they have the right contact information? You know, who do you want to manage seasonal tasks like snow shoveling or garden tending, things that might come up later into the deployment? And then for garden reserve, you know, consider... Emergencies that might come up with your civilian job if you have one. The little shift of gears here from less practical to, you know, kind of more emotional, I guess. I always have trouble getting my husband to invest in prep time. Um, and a lot of that is I'm a big checklist, be prepared person. Uh, and his pre-deployment priorities I've discovered over time are a little different. Uh, I always want to sit down before the deployment and go over the budget and the cash in and out flow and look at my spreadsheet and share our password lists and contact phone numbers for family and friends and financial institutions <laughs> and the deployed address for where I can send letters and care packages and where he tucked away those rarely used but important things of paperwork speaking of get a copy of the deployment orders you will you know for the member who's deploying make sure you leave several copies at home i have needed those several times while my husband was deployed um but he has fortunately always left me multiple copies so don't neglect those things but i guess if my husband were talking right now he'd also say not to stress about these kind of details at the expense of spending time together before the deployment. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I get really fixated on those details and those tasks and forget the the person time, the quality time. Yeah. And he's he's not the only one, right? There's a blog in our show notes from the military wife mm -hmm. and mom about why she stopped preparing for separations, mostly to spend time with her service member. So it's important to balance your emergency planning with 
quality time with those you love. So if you're not much of a planner or you're forgetful or maybe a big picture versus small details person, then find and use a checklist. Think through a lot of these emergency planning things. The seasoned spouse, the military wife and mom, and the semi-delicate balance uh, they're all military wife and mom blogs. They have some printable deployment checklists that they've developed, and there are plenty more out there. So we haven't used them personally, but we linked all three in the show notes. And same as the community aspect, right? Don't get overwhelmed. Uh, don't think you have to do it all, right? Mm-hmm. When the deployment orders drop, make yourself a checklist, pick a couple things a week and tackle them. Uh, and also don't forget, you know, your your loved one, or if you are the loved one deploying, don't forget those that you know, folks, that community you want to build and spend time with before you, before you head out. So take a bit, you know, make a balance between the two. Yeah. Moving on to the next part of preparing, educate yourself and mentally prepare to succeed during deployment. Um, yeah. <laughs> so mentally prepare. Right. But easy step right up front. I think the, like the most important step right up front, set expectations. This is a really important step, uh, but at the same time, completely pointless. Um, oh, geez. <laughs> so, the, oh, well, so for me, I feel that military life has been a long recursive cycle of setting expectations having them disappointed, coming to terms with my expectations being unreasonable, (laughs) lowering my expectations, and then repeating the cycle, like, ad infinitum. Uh, So I feel it's important to be clear about what you think is going to happen. You need to have that open communication, uh, and so the other person has an idea of what is important to you, (laughs) and hence why you're upset later when it doesn't work out. But it's probably even more important to recognize that your expectations are not important to the military or life in general. Sure. And so the military doesn't care about your expectations, but it is possible that your supervisor and and community might. So uh, temper temper those things, right? Yes. Um, But, you know. Like how Bernadette tempers out my moroseness (laughs) a lot of times. (laughs) So uh, about communication and expectations, come up with a communication plan in so much as you can before the deployment. And part of this is being clear about your expectations, right? Find out what communication options are available, uh, like how long it takes for snail mail to move. Check out. (laughs) It could be longer. Uh, Check out a link in the show notes um, to a list of 55 open when quote quote letters topics are written by a blogger. Uh, Joe Magash. Uh, the letters take some time, but they can be really special for family members who remain, who remain stateside. So it's a you know little thing where you have the letters and then they open it when yeah. you know X Y Z occasion occurs. So other communication things to investigate. You know, cell service. Are you willing and able to pay for an international phone plan? Uh, does that work? <laughs> do <laughs> do does it work? Is it there? Uh, yes. Do phone cards work at the deployed location? Uh, is there Wi-Fi and internet service? Um, you know, many foreign IP addresses can be blocked by U.S.-based sites, uh, and some communication services have trouble connecting over the VPNs that many bases use. So it may take a few days for or weeks for the deployed member to, you know, get connected back home. But in yeah. most cases, they can contact somebody who's already in that seat, who are, who's already at that location, mm-hmm. and can give them some information about that. So that's not always yeah. going to be the case. Sometimes they're going to, to a place where they don't have good contacts uh, or where... There's really very primitive facilities, so uh, if that's the case, then you just got to wait and see how it goes. But um, in many cases, for a lot of the more regular deployments, they are going to places that are pretty well established, and at least there's somebody there who can say, hey, yeah, here's the P.O. box, and or, you know, here's the APO. Here's the best way. Yeah, to... Here's the APO, and bring a modem with you, or whatever. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. Right. Um, a little trick we picked up during one of our deployments was to find the DSN phone number of the installation operator for the base if you have a cell phone number from an area near an installation. So let me pick a generic common one. Let's say you have a 210 area code. There are a lot of military installations that have 210 as their commercial area code. If you can find the DSN phone number for the installation operator for one of those bases, 
or the deployed member can often call DSN numbers from other DSN phones overseas without too much trouble, even if they can't call an international phone number. So, you know, you're deployed, it's tough to call international back home, but you can call DSN back home. So my husband could call the base operator for the installation that had the same area code as my phone number. Uh, now, I don't know if he maybe sweet-talked to the operator or, or some other little trick, but um, they were able to patch him through to my phone number, which was a number that was local to them, even yeah. though it was commercial. Sweet. So in that way, we were able to talk over the phone even when international calls weren't possible. But about communication, we'll link in the show notes to a blog post that talks about the pros and cons of different communication methods because some some are better in some areas than others. Yeah. Uh, and insofar as you can, discuss and commit to a communication plan ahead of time. So like Julie said at the beginning, right, know that your plan will not survive first contact with the deployment, right? Uh, and that, <laughs> that yes. it will probably have to change depending on communication support and all kinds of other things and, you know, tempo, work schedule, all those things. Yep. But, but at least discuss your expectations openly and try to commit to that if you can. So, for example, does your spouse uh, or does a spouse expect a physical letter, you know, for them or the kids at least once a month, Right. Uh, if you're a spouse or you, or you have kids and family, talk to your partner about what they expect and why, uh, you know, and how often they, they really do want something. Or do your parents have an expectation of <laughs> a weekly email, right? Do, uh, do your parents have a reasonable expectation? I, you know, and, and for for some families, that maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not reasonable, but, um, you know, some all different relationships, right? All different relationships okay. are out there. And so um, if you're a deployer who's really tight with your parents or your siblings or whomever it might be, right? Maybe it's your best friend. Manage those expectations up front uh, and kind of know what they expect. So that way, uh, you know, going into it, hey, if... If it's communication is not going to work at, to the to the standards or the, the communication plan that you set you set up, then you can at least let them know, hey, I'm not going to be able to be in contact with you in that way as often as I had hoped or we had discussed. This is what's going to be possible, right? So you can counter and let them know, and that's just part of that's part of communication, right? Part of managing your your relationship with your family stateside. Um, and if you're the non-deployer. Uh, you're one that's going to be staying home, you know, be be clear and be honest about what you'd like and why. It doesn't mean you necessarily get it, but at least try to be comfortable saying what you'd like um, and yeah. let your your I, let your deployed member know, hey, I'd really, I'd really like to get something in the mail from you at least once while you're gone, or I'd really like an email at least once a week letting me know that you're okay or whatever it is, right? At least try yeah. and be clear about what it is that you'd like. Yeah. I learned through this, through a series of two or three deployments I eventually figured out exactly how to word it. Like when I knew that my husband was going to have a mission and it was going to last, you know, an indeterminate period of time, but generally not more than, you know, say 20 hours. But, you know, also we didn't know. He didn't know exactly how long it was going to last. I finally figured out how to drill down to tell me when it is that I should expect you back or not necessarily that, but after this point, I should, I should worry. Maybe, yes. He, and he loved what he was doing. So he was excited, you know, to be out there doing it. And so it was actually pretty easy for him to say, eh, you know, it could be 24 out and he would always pad it a little bit. And that was probably a good thing. So, you know, he's back in 18 and I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> it wasn't the full 20 hours. It's great. Right. Right. So just, we can't, I can't, I don't know. I can't stress that enough, but, uh, you know, come up with a plan if you can ahead of time, be clear about your expectations. If you're a deployer, ask, ask what they'd like. And if you're a deployer, try and be clear about what you'd like. You know, if you'd like to receive some care packages or, or you don't want to receive a lot of mail, cause you're going to mm -hmm. be really, I mean, if you don't want to receive a lot of mail or a home. lot of stuff because or you just can't manage it, right? Hey, I'm not going to have a lot of time to, you know, or I don't want to try and have a lot of time to respond to, uh, half a dozen emails in a week, I, then try and manage that ahead of time. Hey, I really want to go and I'm going to focus on the mission. And I'm really excited about it. And, and I would like to really just communicate at this interval. Right. Um, so yeah, just, just try and work the communication aspect. <laughs> yeah, that would be a tough conversation in our family. It is a tough conversation and you have to be prepared to compromise. That's part of relationships. 
Yes. <laughs> We're not going to counsel True. into that. Uh, I will just, you know, just saying, right? Try and yeah. try and be clear about what you want and why. And that's uh, part of, or that's, I guess, wraps up um, mentally preparing yourself to succeed. There are other things yes. that you can do to mentally prepare yourself to succeed, but um, but certainly communication is a big one. Uh, and then on to the last part of preparing, knowing your resources. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about these in different areas, but yeah. Uh, and so we won't we won't drag it out. Uh, but for example, legal office, general powers of attorney, special powers of attorney, living wills, healthcare POAs, advanced medical directives. This is an item that comes up um, consistently on a deployment checklist. So you will probably get a reminder about it. Um, and it is frequently foot stomped during pre-deployment briefings. So that's that's all we probably really need to say about it. Yep. Your Airmen and Family Readiness Center, and this is not what it's called in different services, but they have a basically right. the same sort of thing. Talk to them about discounted or free childcare for the partner who's staying at home if there is one. Uh, all the deployment prep classes and the programs that they offer. I've always been able to Google the installation name plus, you know, Airmen and Family Readiness oh, yeah. or just Readiness Center uh, and get at least a phone number, but often a website and a calendar of events for things they have going on. They have contacts with local agencies for support. Uh, many times they have connections with local retreats for deployed members, uh, for mm -hmm. kids. They have kids programs. Um, some of them do like mock deployment prep for kids before yep. and after. Uh, they just, their Eminent Family Readiness Center is a tremendous resource. Uh, and I know the other services have a similar sort of thing. So, yep, reach out to that one. Yep. Uh, and then probably your final critical resource is your first shirt or ombudsman. Um, and you'll want to know this number for when life goes sideways at home. Yes. So just like as an example, I heard uh, about a month ago, um, I heard an example of a lousy landlord that wasn't paying his uh, mortgage payment on the home that he was renting out. And so the home got foreclosed on while his tenant was in the house and she was the spouse, her husband was deployed. She was a recent immigre and didn't speak legalese English, you know, the scary kind where they come and threaten you about how she was about to be homeless. Um, and she didn't know, you know, what to do about it. That's exactly the situation. And fortunately, she, she did have contact with the first shirt who was fantastic in this case, I heard. That's exactly the situation where the shirt or the ombudsman gets involved and they engage with legal or other base agencies and they resolve that situation as quickly as possible. Have that person's number and, and give it to the people that need it before leaving. Yep. Or if you are the deployer, if you don't know who your first sergeant or ombudsman is, ask your supervisor, right? Find the first sergeant in your squadron. There'll be somebody or the superintendent. If you don't have one, find the senior ranking enlisted member and ask yep. them, hey, who's our acting first sergeant and or ombudsman and I need the number for those to, to pass to my family or to yep. whomever stands stateside who might need the, the assistance. So, um, <laughs> so that, that kind of wraps up pre-deployment. There's so much we didn't even cover, but, um, Oh, Oh yes. We didn't cover. If you have fur babies and you need to make plans for your fur babies, I'm sorry, Bernadette. I completely forgot about this, dude. But totally I actually dogs on deployment. It's a, a group out there. I mostly know them through Facebook and you can connect with their main Facebook group, but then they also have like smaller Facebook groups for areas around military installations. And so you can get on that Facebook group for your local installation or even the nationwide one. If you know you're going to be deploying and you need to find care for your fur babies and you can find people in the area that will adopt your fur babies while you are gone and it is fantastic because it's usually military members and they're just really loving and sweet and that's probably one that we don't think of very often um, and it it can be really stressful I know I've thought about it a couple times so dogs on deployment and we will link to it in the show notes awesome so to wrap up you know for listeners, you are not the only person who's experienced the deployment situation. There are many, many others who have gone before you. Many of them felt unprepared, ignorant, overwhelmed. Uh, many of them maybe felt ready. Uh, but even still, <laughs> understanding the topic, right, or rethinking the topic is a great place to prepare yourself and start getting ready for a deployment. And hopefully with some of the things that we talked through, uh, you know, solutions, tips, advice, uh, whatever we might have mentioned. Hopefully that stirs some things in your brain to help you 
feel more knowledgeable and better prepared to succeed in this area. You know, that's always our goal is to provide a spark of something that is helpful and that uh, that helps you be more more capable, more encouraged, more able to tackle mm-hmm. some of the situations. And in this case, the situation we're talking about is deployment. So, um, Remember that not every solution or tip or piece of advice works or is relevant to every person. So use your knowledge of your situation um, to tailor the suggestions we've provided here to your unique situation. Consider how you in your situation can build your community, establish your routines, make emergency plans, and mentally prepare for deployment. Yep. Good luck, Bellas. Thanks for listening to the Bella Said Bellum podcast. You can find notes or resources related to this topic on our social media community. Check us out, like, follow, or subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Bellas at Bellum. Join us for our next episode, and in the meantime, let us to the battle. We take great care to seek out subject matter experts who are knowledgeable and experienced in their fields to be guests. However, everyone's military experience is unique, and the views of our guests and our hosts do not necessarily reflect an official or acknowledged Department of Defense, United States Air Force, or other government agency position, view, or policy. Content is provided for informational purposes only, and we make no claim as representation of official sources. 